Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin Memories Then and Now on KSRQ Pioneer 90.1 FM here in Thieferber Falls, Minnesota. And if you are not in the FM area, you can always listen to us live. Yes, live. We got uh, the stream available at radionorthland.org. And you can download uh, the free app from TuneIn. We're available too if you want to listen to us live. If you want to listen to uh, some of the past episodes, we got a SoundCloud link at our website too. So radionorthland.org will get you good right and hooked up. Glenn Broggett here uh, flying solo this week. Uh, the grizzled vet to Mike McCurdy out on assignment in his mobile studio looking near, looking far for some great potential guests here as we got kind of get uh, towards the, the last few weeks, uh, last few wrestling memories then and now uh, episodes here for the year 2019. I have a very, very good guest uh, today, very solid guest. I've been waiting for a while to come have him back on the program. And the last time we did have him on uh, earlier in the year, it must have been, he was talking about uh, expanding and re-releasing his book, the book about his life in professional wrestling. And uh, that book originally was out uh, almost five years ago or so. But yeah, he's here finally. The book has been released uh, in uh, the month of October. Uh, It was uh, been put out here by the Wisconsin Historical uh, Society Press. And we're going to talk about what he's added to the book, what's been going on since the last time we chatted. And definitely it's been uh, always great to have him on. I mean, a little backup information on him. He spent uh, 25 years in the pro wrestling business, primarily as an enhancement talent or a job man yeah, job man's the guy that put over the the big star who made the big star look like a million bucks and this guy definitely did his time putting over a who's who of professional wrestling in his 25 year career wrestling for various territories and companies including the AWA he did some stuff for the WWF there was uh, runs in central states mid-south uh, and and many more we'll get into as much as we can here in this, uh, this hour of wrestling memories then and now but he's with us to talk Talk about the recent re-release of his book, Job Man, My Life in Professional Wrestling, and it's always great to have him on. He wrestled in the ring as Chris Curtis, but his real name is Chris Molterer, and it's so nice to have you uh, on, on the program again. Uh, this is the fourth time, but welcome back to Wrestling Memories Then and Now, and congratulations on the release of the expanded edition of Job Man. Oh, thanks, Glenn, for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be on and uh, and. Uh, Tell some old stories from the past. I I, I appreciate it. Oh, 100%. Uh, the feeling is mutual because um, we, uh, like, like I said, the last time we had you on, uh, you were in the in the process of, uh, you were, of of getting your book expanded out. And now, by golly, a uh, month of early part of October, it has been released. Uh, uh, and you got hooked up here with, the, of course, I mentioned before, uh, your outlet being the Wisconsin Historical Society Press. But let's talk about it. Job Man expanded. What made you decide, hey, I want to finally... Uh, I want to add a little bit. I want to put a little more seasoning on it, put a few more pages into this book. What made you really decide first to, uh, how to get back in and, and try to put a little extra on the book? Well, just like the first time, Glenn, um, when I wanted to write the original one, my 25 years in wrestling, it was it just right off the bat. I, it was kind of an impromptu thing. Um, and that's what I did. And I, and I got I hooked up with my a friend of mine who's, who I've known for 46 years, uh, who was author of several books. And um, I said, let's do it. And then one day, um, again, I just thought, you know what? I still have a lot more to uh, to talk about some stories that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to uh, 
add in there. And we added another 37 pages of, uh, you know, of stories. Uh, we took out a lot of the, the ads from the past, um, that kind of thing. There's still pictures in there, but it's a lot more stories, a lot more fun stories, um, that, uh, that I was able to tell some more, you know, road stories and, and that kind of thing. So, um, it's, it's fun. I mean, when I wrote this one, when I added more stories to it, there, there were some times I was laughing so hard that it's like, Oh my God, I hope, I hope other people enjoy it as much as I did writing it. So, yeah. Well, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to, like I said, I, I still haven't uh, gotten the copy. I'll be uh, mailing out for one so I can read. Uh, of course, uh, the winter's about eight months around here anyway, so I need to have some good reading material. And I know a lot of mm-hmm. listeners are interested in Job Man, my life in professional wrestling, 25 years in professional wrestling. But we're going to backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about, you know, what the draw was for you with just being a fan of professional wrestling because a lot of guys uh, got in the business of course were naturally uh, seduced by it at some point at, you know at a younger age when did pro wrestling you know and it's an interesting story from what I can remember but we talk a little bit about how wrestling kind of came into your life it was uh, I guess uh, out of the ultimate circumstance of getting in trouble you definitely most benefited from it as a kid and I did and and um <clears throat> And if people don't know how, how I actually started watching wrestling, um, this was back in 1966 and it was in the middle of summer and I was playing catch with my, one of my brothers, my, one of my younger brothers and, uh, with a rubber ball and I threw the ball to him one time and he ducked and I hit my sister in the head and bounced off. And, you know, you're a kid, you think it's funny. Well, she didn't. And she started crying. So my mom sends me in the house middle of summer, seven o'clock at night. Um, there's really nothing on maybe the wild, wild west or something. So I turned the TV on and I'm changing the channel to a UHF station. And it was probably like a Tuesday or Wednesday night back then. And, uh, all-star wrestling comes on. And the first guy that I saw was mad dog Vashon. And I thought, is this guy human or what? And, um, I actually had nightmares watching him because he was just, he, he was vicious. And then back then there was like Hiller Kowalski and, and Harley race and, and Larry Hennig. But what, what really attracted me growing up were all the different unique personalities that these guys had. I mean, everybody was unique as opposed to the guys today. They all, you know, look at they come from Gold's gym and they wear the same trunks and and everything like that and boots. Um, but it was, you know, you had the guys, you had the Native American wrestlers, you had the cowboys, you had the Germans, you had, uh, you know, the Japanese wrestlers, you had the crushers and the bruisers, and then you had the baby faces and all that, just all those different personalities. That was it. I mean, I was hooked just like people watch programs today. Um, they get hooked on this stuff, you know, the reality programs and that was it. And it was crazy. You know, and kids like in school, um, you know, they would, they would say, Oh, that's fake. And that's this and that. I was probably the only kid in grade school that watched wrestling. And even in high school, maybe there was a good friend of mine. Um, instead of going to like, 
a basketball game on a Saturday night, I would go down to the matches at the arena and at the Milwaukee arena. So it just, it just carried on. And that was, that was my interest in wrestling. I, I, I loved it as a fan and you had to before you got in the business. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, you know you became you're just you, uh, just a diehard fan as, as as a kid and into early uh, adult life. Uh, you talked about attending live shows uh, down in, in 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 Milwaukee. What do you remember like the atmosphere of going into that arena? I mean, as a fan, do you have the, any memories of of going to those cards and, and and remember some of the matches or maybe just just the overall atmosphere of the, those days of, of professional wrestling, especially in a professional hot professional wrestling hotbed like Milwaukee it was at that time. You know, just when I knew when when I knew the, the you know the matches were, were coming to town, and I go get a ticket. Um, I would go. My, my favorite one was was uh, the place to to watch. It was at the Milwaukee Auditorium, and the Milwaukee Auditorium, in a way, was kind of like the old Minneapolis Auditorium that I wrestled back there in you know forty years ago, and it just had it was the perfect building to hold wrestling it was it was like um a real comfortable the, the seats were great and it you know it was just i i just i loved it and if i could get a ringside seat um and the seats back then ringside seats were like five dollars this was back in like the early 70s when i when i started going um some of the matches I'll, I'll never forget a match. One time, um, I was able to get, um, and, and, and this is how, how zealous and how the fans were second row match. Um, I, I was in the second row in the main event of the evening was the crusher against Nick Bockwinkle. And I was sitting in the, the center aisle and a guy behind me was really, was really hyped up. And Nick was getting his heat on the crusher and the guy leaped over the railing to try to get in there. And he had a knife in his hand. He had like a pocket knife and thank God the, the security guys and the police, you know, they, they caught him by the ankle and then they tackled him and, and, you know, they hauled him out and, and arrested him. But it's like, Holy cow. Um, you know, there was times where, um, you know, people would, especially when the crusher on her, because the crusher was like, he was a God in Milwaukee. And if, if they always had extra security around the ring when the crusher was wrestling, especially if, you know, if a big time heel was, was wrestling and, um, it, 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 the atmosphere was, it was electric and it's like, <laughs> it was the greatest thing in the world. It, it, it's something that, you can't describe it was just it was just so it was just so unique you know in another time too glenn um i remember back in i believe it was like 72 or 73 dusty Rhodes and dick murdoch were in the territory and they were having matches with with bachwinkle and stevens and they were they were Vern kind of turned them baby face a little bit and i'll never forget when they were getting their heat on Dick Murdoch, um, you, you, the anticipation, like tag Dusty, you know, you're doing the false tags and everything. Finally, they tag Dusty in, and Dusty made like this 
huge comeback on both of these guys. And then he pinned whoever they won the second fall. Eventually they lost the third fall, but the people were going, they were going out of their minds and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to emulate the heels because of just the way the crowd reacted. I thought, you know, later when I was, when I was in high school, I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to have the baby face make a big comeback on me, sell it to the, to the, to the stars and, you know, just get that reaction from the crowd. And that's, it's something that's indescribable. And boy, and, and too, I mean, you were, grew up in such a, a wonderful time for pro wrestling. I mean, kayfabe was was so strong, and and people were, you know, they were believing it with a wink, of course. But it just seemed like every there was just such a passion and an energy that that once the you know the full you know genie was out of the bottle here, uh, that really something that really just can't ever be captured again. And just how you benefited from that, and just being in such a great spot like Milwaukee growing up. I mean, you got to see so many great. Uh, wrestlers now i mean you talked about your love of the heels i mean you best have picked up so many uh, i mean who had to be at least the top two uh guys uh, your favorite heels to watch i mean this was like if you knew they were on the card you would you would definitely you know this is something you'd, you'd pop extra for bobby heenan and ray stevens those the, those are the two guys glenn that um when I saw the way that they would sell the comebacks from the baby faces, the way that they could bump, it, it was those two. And um, that's what made me get into wrestling. Um, I was, you know, I was fairly athletic. Um, and, and here's the funny thing. You know, you would, would, what we would do, and even some of the big stars, what, what they did too is, they would practice interviews in front in a bathroom mirror, you know, just to, to learn how to, uh, how to get on camera or what we would do too is we would pretend we were a heel and I would, and I would like be in a room and I would like back up, like, like I'm going to be like the baby face is going to make a comeback. I mean, I would practice begging off with, with like my right hand or, or my, my left hand and, you know, shake my head just to get the feel of it. I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but that's what you had to do. And a lot of guys, you ask them, they did it. And, uh, so it's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's an emotion that people probably can't understand, but that's, those are the two guys they were just the greatest bumpers and they were just the greatest workers ever. And as far as I'm concerned is, um, that I wanted to emulate. So we're talking with professional wrestler, Chris Curtis, author of job, man, my life in professional wrestling. And we're talking about uh, some of the great guys he had a chance to watch, uh, growing up and going to the pro wrestling shows in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, uh, yeah, of course, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you getting into the pro wrestling business, but there, I mean, one of the, your biggest things before you even got into wrestling really was that, uh, and I always found this story great and it's going to end the book and it's covered well is, uh, yeah, you, you didn't go for Ric Flair right away. You found your yourself a bear <laughs> I did and uh <clears throat> I was I was 20 years old 
and this is back uh this is back in 1978 we always had a sports show um <clears throat> in milwaukee and I think maybe some of the old timers remember there's a guy named Tuffy Truesdale and he was from the Carolinas and he had a bear Victor and he probably had several of them, but, um, he normally, what he would do is you'd bring them down around to the different territories. They would, you would get a call and they would book Victor against the top heel in the territory, either in a cage or they put a strap on them or something like that. And, um, um, it, it, it would draw a lot of people. Um, I remember one time in Milwaukee, Dr. X, Dick Byer, uh, wrestled them and they had, they had to turn like a couple thousand people away. Um, because it was sold out. That was, the, that was the main event. The, the match probably went five or six minutes, but you know, when people who really, really believe this stuff, wanted Victor to tear, you know, Dr. X apart. Um, but <clears throat> what happened was there was six of us and, um, I was the third guy in line. The first two guys that wrestled them, they, they were black belts in karate and, uh, Victor just, he, he ate them up. But what I did was I realized that they were going, they're trying to to beat him in a standing position and go high. Well, Victor just overpowered him. So what I did is, is I went for his waist and then I went for his legs, but he got on top of me and I thought, how am I going to get 600 pounds off of my back? But what I did is I was able to work myself up and then I double legged him, got him on his back. And I hooked his front legs. Um, he couldn't get up. He tried with his, his rear legs kicking up and he couldn't get up, but I had him pinned sideways. And but Truffy, Tuffy Truesdale said he wanted, I didn't really pin him because I was supposed to grapevine him. And that was, that was virtually impossible. I couldn't do it. Um, so that was kind of like the highlight. And there was like 6,000 people at the auditorium that afternoon. And I'll never forget, um, one of the guys I was going to, uh, photo school at a local technical college. And one of the guys that was my, in our class of a bunch of friends of us, he was pounding on the edge of the uh, stage. He was taking pictures and he, I could hear him screaming. He was, he was like so elated that I, that I pinned Victor. Um, and then about maybe three months later, there was another bear that came to town at a local shopping center. And I know his name was terrible Teddy or something. And he was about seven feet tall and weighed 650, 700 pounds. He was a brown bear. And I wrestled him twice. The first day, uh, we kind of went to a draw. Um, he was, he just flattened me on top. I mean, he didn't beat me, but nothing really happened. The second day, he beat me up pretty good. He, he tore my, uh, my left rotator cuff. Um, and, um, so that was, that lingered on for a few years, but yeah, that was, that was kind of my, my, my claim to fame, even in the book too, that I wrestled Victor and pinned him. And so that was, 
That was pretty crazy. <laughs> I, I half expected uh, your next. Oh, yeah, my third match, uh, Dan Haggerty uh, brought with Ben, and we uh, fought on the back lot of Grizzly Adams. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. So you finally, I mean, you, you, you performed in front of 6,000 people again. That must have been a jolt. You're fighting a guy, you're fighting a damn bear, and you got a big crowd like that. I mean, now you're well on your way, I mean, as far as the mindset. Now, how about breaking into pro wrestling in, in the Wisconsin area? And I also want to know a little bit about some of the stuff you did before the AWA, and you got to, to do some of the enhancement matches. I'm going to talk a little bit, or have you talk, tell me a little bit about your training and working in the United Wrestling Association. Now, the UWA, now that might bring back some some uh, memories yeah you know what how that how i actually really got into wrestling glenn was there was a couple outlaw shows running in town and the guy who was running the uwa his name was al patterson and um my goal in life was was to take pictures for a um uh, like a bill after for a wrestling magazine and in New York. But so I went down there and I said, Hey, I'll take pictures, you know, for you. He said, well, I, I, he couldn't pay me. He said, but you know what? You're, you're kind of a big guy. Would you be interested in like managing? And I said, well, sure. You know, just to get my, my feet wet. Well, the guy that I managed the first time was a job guy named Fred Therese and he wrestled for Vern, um, on TV, you know, with us in the seventies and, and so forth. And, and, um, he was the enforcer and eventually, um, I wore a, he, he wore a hood and then, and then I became the enforcer number two and we were taking, we were champions and it, it went off really, really well. And that's, I started with him, but the thing about Patterson was Glenn was he, he hated Vern. And the reason why he hated Vern was because he thought that, um, he should be getting, um, a TV show and, but you know, the other stations around there, they, they wouldn't do it because Vern was, he was the man. And so, um, I wanted to wrestle for Vern and Tom Stone who was wrestling for another outlaw outfit. And that's how pretty much a lot of the guys in the business get their start in the small independent ones. Um, he was wrestling for, um, the Midwest wrestling association. So I hooked up with him cause a couple other guys from UWA, um, were, were wrestling for them too. And, one thing led to another and the next thing you know stone trained me he trained me right um and then he was he was the guy who booked us to get to minneapolis or st louis or kansas city and he was instrumental in getting me down to wrestle for bill watts and he also booked us for matches for you know for new york so he he was the man. He was the guy that I probably, um, yeah, Patterson got me in, but Stone was the one who, who brought me to a different level. So, I mean, I'm eternally grateful to him. 
Yeah, and and, and and to a casual fan to watch through the years, they would have never thought that uh, Tom really was so much so very instrumental as far as coordinating and getting guys in for for various TVs for Vern and also for Vince and and also uh, again you talked about getting in you into different territories and boy just how important a figure uh, Tom was uh, in your career and not only your career but others as well who had a chance and an opportunity to uh, take those trips from Milwaukee uh, to Minneapolis or wherever. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the thing about um, Tom or Steve Hall, which is his real name, he was such a good worker. I mean, he just, and he understood the business so well. Um, I remember <clears throat> we had a match. I mean, this guy was incredible. Um, we had a match. It was a tag match against Ganyan Brunzel when they had the tag straps. And it might have been our first one or maybe a few years later, but Brunzel, Brunzel pinned me with a drop kick and he looked like he'd kill me, but he gave stone a drop kick. And, and usually when I took a bump, a backwards from, I threw, I would throw my feet up in the air. He took one. He looked like he was shot and he went down like a, like a, or like a tree got chopped on. He just went boom, straight down. And it was like, Roger Kent was going crazy. I mean, he just, he was, he was such a good worker that yeah, they used him in house shows and stuff, but I really believe that they could have used him a lot more and he was a good talker. You know, he could do, he could do really good interviews if he wanted to. But he just, um, um, he was, he was just a incredible hand. He was, a, he was a really good talent and, you know. This is wrestling memories then and now. Yeah, talking AWA and making it to those those tapings and uh, man, and, you know, what kind of a feeling was it for you to, to to get to that first taping? I mean, it, you're now working in front and and being a part of the show that you watched and got drawn into on that old UHF channel. What was that that feeling of? Hey, I got on TV. You know, you're putting over a guy, but you you got that 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 in on television. Whether you're wrestling, you know, with a, in a tag team or with the you know a singles match against Paul. Ellering or Adrian Adonis or whoever in those early days, but you made it. That must have been just a, a little bit of a feeling of of nervous energy and, and just kind of accomplishment. It was, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. I remember going up there the first time, um, in March of '79, and I was I was nervous, obviously, but I was like, wow, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the big time. And I remember, um, you know, walking, walking into the TV studio, channel 11 in golden Valley. Um, you know, we would walk in and it was cold. It was like March. The studio was always cold for whatever reason. And we would go up and we went upstairs and they had, um, that's where all the guys would dress. And then they all started coming in. And at that time, um, the guys that I remember that were Bachwinkle and Stevens, um, Pat Patterson, Heenan was there. Um, Paul Ellering, Steve Olsonowski, uh, Zumhoff, um, well, uh, super destroyer, Mark two and three Lord Alfred Hayes. I mean, it was just like, then they all started coming in. It's like, wow, I made it to the big time. 
and they were all nice. You know, they were, they didn't know who we were, but, you know, you introduce yourself and, you know, it was funny cause the heels were always nicer, but, um, um, then we had our first match and it was against Ganyan Brunzel, two out of three falls and it went really well. And I thought I made it. I, I can't believe it. And then Wally started calling and, and I was going up there a lot and I thought, wow, if, if Vern Gagne and Wally Carble like me, um, that, that's an accomplishment. I was, I felt so privileged to work for an organization like the AWA. Um, you know, I'm thinking 13 years before that, I'm a nine-year-old kid, you know, watching it on TV. The next thing you know, I'm up there wrestling against these guys. So. Yeah, it must have been quite the feeling. rush. Must have been quite the rush. I mean, and I, I mean, we talk about Wally Carbo, man. You know, there's another. I mean, he wasn't a wrestling town. He was, you know, behind the scenes. He worked with Vern so many years. You know, in the AWA, and man, what a character that guy was. I mean, just his little show, you know, his little appearances on TV that must have led to something else. Because he seemed like he was just a, a little bit, uh, I don't know, a little bit riled up and cantankerous. But it's, but everybody seems to have a Wally story. Do you, what do you have uh, as far as your memories of Wally Carbo? Oh, Wally, you know, everybody loved Wally. Wally was kind of like, he was the buffer. He was, he was kind of like, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're afraid to go to your dad and your dad is, you know, he could be, he could be real gruff and mean, you know, if, if he had to, that was like, Vern could do that. Vern could, you know, throw off his temper. I've never really seen it. But, you know, Vern was, Vern was the man, even, even though him and Wally owned the territory, but guys would go to Wally, you know, because they could, they could talk to Wally. Now, Wally, um, you know, they would go to him for something and then Wally would kind of like talk backwards. They would, you know, Baron Von Raschke and it'd say, by the time you get done talking to Wally, it's like, you were more confused, but I always liked him. One of the funny stories I'll never forget was, um, and he wasn't even there that night. I think he was starting to head toward retirement, like in the 83, 84. And we did TV one night and, uh, there was these guys from Iowa that came in and they worked for Bob Geigel and, um, blackjack Lanza was booking the TV guys now. And we happened to be up there to us. I think Stone and I were went up there and, and, uh, Z3. And, um, there was two guys, they were in a tag match and they were horrible. The match was, and Vern was in there watching the match. And so they came back and he was like livid. And one of the guys from Iowa, one of the job guys was, he was a police officer. And Vern was really laying into him. And the guy said, well, you can't talk to me. I'm a police officer. And Vern said, uh, I don't give an F what you are. I'll kick your ass if you, uh, you know, um, I don't ever want you to come up again. And then he was, he was yelling at plans. He goes, Jack, he said, who the hell booked these guys? And he goes, Wally did. <laughs> well, he didn't do it, but he went in uh, yeah. and, and so we, we were all laughing. Vern goes, where's Wally? Where's that damn Wally? 
Wally wasn't even at the TV studio. So <laughs> Lanza escaped that one at least for a while. I don't know what happened after that, but it was it was pretty funny and and uh, you know so. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely yeah. Just throwing it, uh, throwing well, it all this way. Always whipping boys, what he was. <laughs> kind of the classic good cop to the bad cop sort of scenario when you have to deal with them, whether it's something in the locker room or something you need to approach them with. You kind of worked, like you said, you worked over Wally before you, you know, with Vern because you knew you were probably getting a better, better deal or just a little less hassle. Right, right. But, and Wally, Wally was so Wally was, you know, he would call me at the last, sometimes at the last minute he goes, Hey, he goes, Curtis, it's Wally. Can, can you come up here tonight? I need you for whatever. And they bring in somebody new in the territory that, you know, he, he wanted, you know, they wanted to eat me up in two minutes or three minutes or whatever it was. One thing I never did in, in the 10 years that I wrestled for, for the office, I never said no, never, because it's kind of like you were afraid that if you said no, they weren't going to call you again. But Wally, every time Wally called, I got back to him and just, I'll be up there. That was it. You know, and he, and I knew he appreciated that. He always said, thank you. He was always nice to me. So yeah, he, I loved Wally. He was like your, he was kind of like your uncle. Your goofy <laughs> uncle. That's what he was like. Now we're we're talking a little bit more about you know while you were uh, doing some uh, appearances with the AWA, you also had opportunities to to, to check out other territories. And uh, you mentioned something about Bob Geigel. And you know, let's go a little bit further down and, and talk a little bit about some of the uh, appearances you were able to to uh, get booked on uh, with you know, the St. Louis wrestling at the chase, because that's another one of those things they talk about with such high regard was this taping or you made it to St. Louis because St. Louis was kind of its own standalone uh, town, but you had an opportunity to go down and be a part of a, a few appearances down there. Talk about what that was like working with, you know, uh, the, uh, comparing uh, promoters, uh, Vern Gagne would say your Pat O'Connors or your Bob Geigels or even uh, Muchnick in cer- certain cases. Let's talk a little bit about, about uh, the time in, in that St. Louis. And you can even, stretched out into that central states uh, territory oh sure you know um pat o'connor he was he was the guy who booked us for tv um pat was pat was mushnick and o'connor and harley race and i know Vern had a little bit of it there they i think they they own the they own st louis it was the st louis is kind of like houston Glenn Houston was his own standalone, but they would bring in talent from, you know, territories all over Texas and Florida and mid South and the Carolinas and stuff. And it was a plethora of talent that they would just bring in. It was like, you know, the Academy Awards for wrestling at the keel and, and at the chase. But, um, um, Pat was, I always liked Pat. Pat was very nice, um, to all of us. Um, he was a, you know, when he was younger, he was an absolutely incredible talent. He was just unbelievable. He was just a great champion. Um, but, um, I remember it was funny because guys would kind of like to rib him. And I remember he told all of us, you know, especially the, the, the stars, he said, okay, I, I, you guys, I'm going to tell you right now. Don't use the other guy's finishes in your matches. So 
what happened was one time they, and they had you could see you could watch the matches from above as like a like a one-way mirror where you can only you can't see him but you can see out one of those deals and uh so dory funk jr was wrestling ron mcfarland i remember and and dory used he used bob sweetan's pile driver he used uh somebody else's finishing hold and every time he would use somebody else's finishing hold he would tell mcfarland to kick out and and the guys are watching this and, and, and O'Connor's going out of his mind, you know, but Dory did that on purpose. So, um, <laughs> Bob Sweetman says, well, he just killed my pile driver with, with, you know? <laughs> and so then he beat him with like, uh, he, he used the, his, his patented spinning toe hold or, or whatever he did, but Funk comes up to the, to the, uh, you know, up to the dressing room and, and he just looked at Pat and smiled and cause he knew, you know, whoa, what's Pat going to do? And, uh, Pat just kind of looked at him and, but I had a match one time with, uh, probably one of the rougher matches you tried besides Billy Robinson was against Gene Kaniski, who was a former NWA world champion before, uh, in the sixties before Dory took him, beat him for the title. He also wrestled in the AWA and then like in the early sixties, he was world tag team champion. I think he was a singles champion, but, um, he was about six, five and two seventy, And he was the old school, kind of like a killer Kowalski. He just laid it in. And so during the match, I got him on his back and he said, hit me. So I hit him with a working punch and he said, hit me. And I hit him again. And he said, God damn it, hit me. And I'm kind of like, I thought I was supposed to pull a punch. So I thought, okay. I hit him in the mouth as hard as I could. And he started bleeding. And then I hit him again. And I hit him in the nose. And his nose started bleeding. And I thought, oh my God. Because I could just see the fire in his eyes. He took me, he threw me on my back. He got on top of me, punched me in the face. Um, I'm a bloody mess. And then he just proceeded to chop me and punch me in my chest. And I, my chest was like raw hamburger. It was, it was complete. I mean, it was, just, it was ridiculous. And my jaw from when he punched me, my mouth, I couldn't close my mouth all the way. I felt like one of those like a typewriter when you're typing it and it goes all the way to the side. That's how my, my mouth felt. So I go back up stairs to the dressing room. Bob Sweetan says to me, he goes, Hey, who'd you have? And I said, uh, Kaniski. And he goes, well, how did it go? And I'm, and I'm just like, I beat the crap. Then Kaniski came upstairs and I, and he, he comes over to me and he grabs me and he says, when I tell you to hit me, when I tell you to do something, you do it. Do you understand? And I go, yes, sir. I was like, wow. oh my God. <laughs> and that day I had Kaniski, Bruiser Brody, and, um, oh, and then I had a two out of three fall match with, uh, um, oh, what was his name? Oh my gosh. I forgot his name. Um, it was another job guy, mid-card guy. Tom DeMarco? Um, 
Tom DeMarco, that's it. Yes. Two out of three falls. Thank God we, we flew to St. Louis and flew back because I don't know if I'd ever would have made it in the car home because I was just, I mean, I was a physical wreck that day. So, yeah, but I enjoyed Kansas city, Glenn. I mean, um, St. Louis, it was, it was great because you can actually work. Um, and then also in, in Kansas city too. Um, I really like working for Bob Geigel. He was, he was always really nice to us and you can work on TV. You could actually, you know, the matches go five or six minutes. You could actually have a, a little bit of a wrestling match. And, um, you know, as opposed to going to New York where all you do is bump and sell and, you know, and, and that kind of thing, which, you know, it's that, that, that was fine, but at least you could wrestle a little bit, show off some of your talent. And, uh, but I really enjoyed St. Louis and Kansas city, just like, you know, Minneapolis. Did you, uh, now let's talk a little bit about who you had the opportunity to work with while you were working for Geigel in Kansas city. Now, instead of St. Louis, uh, anything kind of step out as far as, uh, some of the people that you had a chance to uh, be in ring with. You know what? I remember I teamed up with a guy named Siegfried Stenke, who was, he was like a, a German heel. And we teamed up and we wrestled um, Brian St. John and Bill Irwin. And they were the Central States Tag Team Champions. And I think we wrestled them for the, the Central States Tag Team Champion on TV. and. Uh, that was a really good match. That was probably one match that stood out um, as far as uh, wrestling um, in Kansas City. Um, I wrestled a guy, I believe his name is Tom Andrews. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Um, that Rufus R. Jones, I remember, was down there. I don't think I ever wrestled him. Um, so it was funny because I was, I would always wrestle as a heel in Kansas city, but in St. Louis, I always wrestled as a baby face. Interesting. So yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, do you, you worked also, I mean, when you, I, I think of central States, I always think of, I mean, bulldog, Bob Brown, uh, you've had a chance to, to work with Bob Brown too. And, and there's another guy that, uh, you know, some stories vary as far as uh, Bob, but what were your experiences like working with the good old bulldog? Oh my God. He was, he was hilarious. Um, he, you know what? <laughs> he wasn't really a good worker, but he was, he was so, he, I remember the first time I ever wrestled him, he gave me the whole match. He, all, all I did was arm drag him and I worked his arm. I probably gave him like three arm drags and he went over really good. And then he, you know, and then he got me in the corner and then he stopped me and I, and I gave him, a, he gave, let me give him a little comeback or he gave, yeah, he let me give him, get a comeback on him. And, um, but Bob was, he was kind of like, uh, he was always excitable, but he was, he was a really, really a great guy to wrestle in the ring. And, um, um, I remember a funny story one time. I hope <laughs> I can tell on your show, but I remember he he gave me a flying mare, and I landed on my butt, and um, there was a little expulsion of of something. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, and, and he put me in a chin lock, 
And instead of turning out the chin lock, I, I was waving it at him in his face. And he got really ticked off. And during the match, he goes, did you, did you do that? And I go, no, the referee did. So I blamed it on the referee and he got all over the referee about it. And it was, it was pretty funny because I think just the way the referee was standing, but it's like, oh my God is, but he, he was, he was really a nice guy. I, I really, he was a, he was a character. And I remember one time they were promoting the Keel auditorium matches and it was a six man. It was, it was Dick, the bruiser, um, Kevin Von Erich and Pat O'Connor against Bob Sweet and Lord Alfred Hayes and um uh and and Bulldog Bob Brown. And so Pat, you know, he he you know they, they were watching it and Sweet Ten was a he was a comedian. He was he was funny but he had this really dry humor. And so Pat came came back upstairs from his match or something. He goes, Hey, he goes how did I get roped into this? I mean, I got to wrestle you and Bruiser. And um, he goes, do you think you could have asked me first before you booked me against you guys? I mean, it was, it was funny, you know, just the way he, he you know, he was kidding, but you know, he, nobody liked wrestling Bruiser because Bruiser didn't sell for anybody. I mean, you know, Bruiser could have been shot out of a cannon and he, he wouldn't have sold it, but yeah, it was, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. When you talk about characters, I mean, you also early on in your career had a chance while you were in Mid South to uh, work with Ox Baker. Now, Ox Baker, he always, I mean, he, he was just a larger than life character. I mean, nobody ever uh, remembers him for his great technical expertise, but as far as getting, uh, you know, people to notice him, when uh, Ox and, and his, his gimmick, man, were something else. What can you remember? Uh, you were in the Mid South at that point of, of some of the time you got to spend in the ring and maybe even out of the ring uh, with Ox. Baker. Ox Baker, he was kind of like the human version. Ox kind of looked like a cross between the devil and the creature from the Black Lagoon. And uh, I mean, see, and, and that's the thing too, Glenn. Back then, all those guys had those unique features. I mean, they were all individuals that you know, you, you look at them and it's like Ox could scare you to death. You know, if, if you really believe this stuff was real, Wrestling Ox was like wrestling um, cotton candy, and he he was so light. He was he was such a nice guy. And, and two of the guys, and the other guy too that that I love wrestling down there, and I wrestled him a lot was uh, Bull Ramos, Manny Bull Ramos. Um, but but wrestling Ox was just. I mean, I loved wrestling him. He was just so easy. And, um, one time, um, we were in, uh, I think we were in Alexandria, Louisiana and my shoulder was really bothering me that night. The one that, that the bear messed up and he had me in an arm lock. And I said, ox, I said, uh, my arms, my shoulder's really killing me. I said, could you please put me in a headlock? And so he, he looked at me and he goes, Oh, sorry. And so he lets go of the arm lock and he, he kind of like, 
you know, his, his, he just waves his hand and he, and, and he goes, oh my, he goes, oh, sorry about that. And then he puts me in a headlock, like who, who lets go of all. So he puts me in this headlock and I'm kind of like, you know, looking up at him and he had false teeth. His uppers were, you know, he had, he didn't have any teeth on the bottom at all, but he had an upper plate. So he's like, pushing the plate back in and out of his mouth. And I start laughing and little did I know that I looked over and Bill Watts is watching the match in the back. And, and that's, that's having, that's worse than he, he was more strict than Vern, probably like two or three times more strict. And I thought, Oh my, I said, I said, Watts is watching us. He goes, I don't care. And I thought, Oh God, we're going to get fired. And, um, but he never said anything. It, it, Ox didn't care what, what Bill thought of. I mean, he drew money. You know, that heart punch he gave me, <laughs> he barely touched you. And he was just, he was just such a, a wonderful character. And um, I, I just, I really, I really enjoyed working him. Mm-hmm. We got one more to talk about before we get back to talking about your book, of course. Uh, and while you're in Mid South, we we barely even got into the '80s here. This is what it's, what fun it is to have you talk and to share your stories of even just of your early part of your career. Uh, I mean, your whole career is amazing too. But uh, another character, one of the big men, and, and another one that stood out was Ernie Ladd, and of course he was a fixture in and out of the Mid South area around that time that you were there. What can you remember of uh, some of the stuff? Uh, I mean, you had a chance to work with him in the ring. What can you remember of of, of the big cat, Ernie Ladd? Ernie was, Ernie was really, really, he's, he was another guy. He was a sweetheart. Um, he, I remember sitting and talking to him and he, he had really bad knees and he had a scar on his, on his right knee. That was as long as my forearm. It just went down. You know, Ernie's like six, nine, but he, he was, he was such a good wrestler. I mean, he, he was when he. You know, I remember when he first came to the AWA in '66. It was him and Earl Maynard. He was a babyface, and he was working for Watts. You know, he was he was a heel and in New York. But Ernie, um, you know, I remember I I I he never drove because um, it hurt his knees having his his right knee because it was in such bad shape. You know, having it on the gas pedal, he told me. Mm-hmm. So I would drive him to towns every once in a while, and he would just talk to me about the business and he was he you know he would say this and that and just theory alone and he was just really a nice guy and you know that's the true thing glenn you know a lot of you know i probably say well this guy's always a nice guy and they were they were they were like if they would want to help you and ernie was one of the guys and and i remember two times that i had ernie in the ring um i was I was always a baby face down and working for Bill, but one time, um, well, the both times we had a, they had a, an arm wrestling tournament. And, uh, so <laughs> Ernie, Ernie is there and he goes, I want that kid out there. So he goes out and throws me in the ring. He pulls me in the ring. And then we have this arm wrestling contest and boom, he slams my arm down. And he, he picks it up, he slams it down again, and then he takes me and he throws me out of the ring. And, and it, you know, that was that was the thing that we had, and, and then he moved on and whatever. But one time, <clears throat> excuse me, I was in a 
tag team match was uh, Ernie Ladd, Mike George against myself and a guy from uh, North Carolina, Ben Alexander. Mike George is in the ring, and he was getting his heat on Alexander, and Ben tagged off to me to make the comeback. Well, I misstepped. The ring in the the ring in Louisiana, the TV ring. You normal normally a ring you you could put your you could put your whole foot and your whole foot would rest on it. But with this one, you could only get up to the the balls of your feet on this thing. And so I went. I tagged off and I went to go through the ropes and I misstepped and I fell back flat on my back on the floor and I'm laying there you know, and making these stupid noises. Bill Watts, who's commentating with Boyd Pierce, says, what happened to Curtis? That he had his chance for the hot tag and make a comeback, and he's nowhere to be found. What, what happened to him? I mean, it's like, really, Bill? You're, you're, you're so worried about kayfabe. And then you give away the, you know, the <laughs> the, the inside knowledge of, yeah, he, he makes the hot tag and he's going to make a comeback and, and he falls flat on his back on the ring. And that was, that was pretty funny. Mike George is looking over the ropes like, he's, he's kind of like shrugging his shoulders like, there he is. I don't have anybody to fight. But yeah, it was, Ernie was a good guy. I liked him. Now we're heading down the home stretch here of the program. Boy, it's been so much fun chatting and just hearing your memories uh, of your uh, 25 years in wrestling. Just the first few years of your 25 years in wrestling. Uh, that's yeah, not, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, we got to have you back. And I think what we got to do is, I mean, I put it out on social media, but I think we may have to make some connections and uh, get some of the other guys that, uh, you know, we, we talked about Tom Stone. Uh, we could bring him in and we can also bring in a friend of the show, Mike Moran, who worked as Mike Richards and maybe find a few other guys and just do some some uh, series of these roundtable chats about working enhancement and working uh, the outlaws and just working, you know, being the job guys who made the, the, the top stars look so good. And you guys have so many great stories to tell. I think that would just be a home run to get you guys in. I would just ask a question. It'd basically be throwing uh, meat to the dogs and let you guys chat it up. You know, that would, that would be hilarious. And, and, you know, I think the, the really fun things, especially with stone and I, are the road stories. I mean, they were like, they were, it, it's all clean. There, there's nothing, but you know, riding with guys like Herman Schaefer and Woody Wilson. I mean, when I was, when I was writing this book, uh, Glenn, when I was writing the stories about Woody Wilson, um, and Herman, I was laughing so hard. Uh, it's like, I, I mean, I couldn't, I, it, it was just, you know, it, it's like we were we were high school guys and and we're adults, but we're acting stupid as ever. And but it it, it was just so funny back then. You, you we were for lack of a better word, we were crazy, we we're goofy. You had to be in order to get in this business. But we had so much fun. It was it was it was it was something else. Now I'm definitely having to get you guys together here sooner rather than later, man. The name is book is a job man, my life in professional wrestling. It is from Wisconsin historical society press and, uh, the ways you can find it are, uh, the, the, I do believe they have a website where you can pick up this book. Yes. You can go to their, um, their website. It's also available with, uh, Amazon online. And I believe Barnes and Noble, um, carries it. You could order through Barnes and Noble, um, so those are the those are the ones, and you you should be able to get it, um, you know, within a week, 
or so if you have a local Barnes and Noble, they order it, they can get it for you. So yeah. I'm definitely going to be uh, reading it, and uh, I have the I have the original version, but I got to get this expanded version. Chris Volterer, uh, aka Chris Curtis, thank you so much for being on Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Like I said, we got to get you back for the roundtables, or have you back on on your own? It doesn't matter. It's always good talking with you. Oh, the roundtable sounds awesome. That would be so much fun too. I really appreciate it, Glenn. Thank you so much for Pioneer ninety point one. I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories Then and Now.